Brothers and sisters, it is good to be here with you. It's good to have a week where I'm just soaking in the Word of God. And when I spend a week soaking in the Word of God and then come to a worship service, man, my heart um, explodes. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. Um, And I hope that from this sermon, you get to hear about the way that the Lord loves you. You get to hear about what the Lord is doing. And your heart will also begin to beat stronger in its love for Him as you experience Him anew. I'm reading this story with, um, with Asher, my son. Uh, it's, called, it's a series of books called The Green Ember. And its focus is on uh, night rabbits. These are rabbits that wield swords and bows. The problem is that the bad guys in these stories are hawks and wolves. Um, so, you know, the rabbits don't stand a chance. <laughs> like they just, they cannot hold up to um, the birds of prey that are swooping and the wolves that just want to devour them. Uh, but they had a kingdom that was beautiful and wonderful. It was taken from them by the hawks and the wolves. And they long for it to be renewed, where they can have safety and peace. And they called it, they call it the mended wood. And so they are always talking about, for the mended wood, we will fight for the mended wood. And in the mended wood, there will be peace. In the mended wood, there will be no more tears, or more, no more pain. And that hope they need to hold on to because they're lining up against wolves and against eagles. Uh, what Keith asked earlier in the service, what's the most important question for us? It's such a powerful, powerful question. What is, the most, what is the most important question? What has Jesus done for us? What has he won for us? What is he doing? And where are we going? It, if, if you don't have the right answer to that question, or if you don't know where you're going, brothers and sisters, you're going to get hit hard. This life is not easy. I'm only like 34, I think. Right? And like, my life hasn't been easy. Some of you know real pain. Some of you know real suffering. If your hope can't withstand what's coming, it's going to be heavy. It's going to be brutal. You're going to get thrashed. And my hope today is that you will experience the hope of what Elizabeth read, the hope of what Jesus promises, the hope of what the Christmas season is all about. My uh, grandmother was not doing well uh, about a year ago a little over a year ago, and she started to experience dementia. And my family had to watch as dementia just kind of destroyed her. It wrapped her up. Um, and I was, like, we had hurricanes hit our house in Florida. I went down there, I was working. And at one point we were cutting logs back and, and, and trying to clean up the mess. And she called us. And uh, my, my grandmother was a feisty woman. She, she was a fighter. She was the kind of person I could talk about sex with, which was really weird. Because <laughs> you don't normally think of talking about sex with your grandmother, but she was that kind of spicy woman that was like, oh yeah, no, I can talk to you about that. She could talk to me about anything. Um, she raised two kids by herself. Uh, the guys that she was with were not good guys. They really mistreated her. Um, but she was a fighter, and she would, she would just keep going. Never had a... Never had a, a care about, like, if she would say the wrong thing to you, she, she was just so spicy and fighting. Um, and dementia destroyed her. And she called me um, when I was cleaning things up, and she was like, Sam, what we need is a good man. Maybe I told you guys this. A good man. And then there's 20 in a box. 
And I was like, 20 in a box? What? 20 in the box, Sam. There's 20 in the box. And my dad was sitting right there. And I'm telling you guys, my grandmother just started like spitting nonsense. She had no idea what she was saying. And I looked at my dad's face, and he was like about to cry. Because here was a woman who like, like, was with it. She was strong. She was tough. She was capable. And now, she, in the midst of, after this hurricane, all she could tell me was 20 in a, about 20 in a box. And there was no 20 in any box that would do us any good. It was, it was madness. We watched her decay. We watched her experience corruption. We watched her die. We put her in a casket, and it was over for her. And the, what we saw was so painful um, and so sad. It made me hate death and hate the decay of this world all over. Friends, our hope is greater than that decay. And that's what I hope that we experience here in this text of 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58. The um, passage is found on page 1,791 in your pew Bibles. Uh, again, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58, uh, and it will also appear up here. You guys ready to read? Let's go. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in, a, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with, the, with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to understand what you're saying to us? Would you help us to take hold of the hope of your resurrected power? Would, that ex would we experience it and live in it when we look to you? In your name I pray. Amen. Let me set a little bit of context for you in this text. Um, Paul is writing to a Corinthian church, uh, probably in the um, late 40s, maybe early 50s B.C., uh, Corinth has, was a city that had been sacked by the Romans, rebuilt by the Romans, and a bunch of um, freed slaves and warriors refounded this city. And they built it up and made it awesome. Uh, it was a wild city. It was a party city, in some ways, kind of like Las Vegas. Uh, and then in other ways, it was a bustling, like, happening place. Lots of, uh, lots of commerce, lots of shipping. There were two harbors on either side of it. It was a place um, of excitement. It was a place of status of a lot of men and women who were climbing a social ladder. And there was a lot of opportunity. If you were tough enough, if you were going to make it, if you were going to work hard. It was also a place of religion, and it was a place of philosophy. Uh, I was reading this massive book by N.T. Wright. I find like I read 30 pages of massive, massive books, and then I get to tell you that I read 
a massive book. I did not read the 700 pages of this book, but I read some of it. Um, and he talked about the Greco-Roman understanding of life after the grave. And he said, N.T. Wright says that there are two uh, major writers, kind of like the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament for the Corinthian people and pretty much the entire Greco-Roman world was uh, Homer, the Odyssey, and the Iliad, right? The New Testament for the Greco-Roman world is uh, Plato and the Platonic ideas. That was N.T. Wright's take. I'm, I feel I'm talking to some philosophy majors. You guys can correct me. <laughs> I have a Master of Divinity, not of philosophy. I'm just reading N.T. Wright. <laughs> so, uh, that, uh, anyway, the, uh, the, um, the take from Homer about life after death is that there is life after death, but it's a shade life. It's a life in Hades where ghosts go. And one of the most powerful expressions of this life after death is found in, um, in uh, Odyssey, the Odyssey, where Odysseus is traveling to, uh, to Hades to win somebody's um, prophecy. And when he gets there, He's been away from his home, and he sees his mom. And she's a shade and a spirit, and she's wandering around, kind of babbling and moaning and groaning. And you have to, like, give her a blood sacrifice for her to talk. Um, if she drinks that, she can, like, connect with you and relate to you. So he provides for her a blood sacrifice, and he wants to hug her. And I remember reading Odyssey when I was a kid, uh, and... Um, reading this scene, and it's just like breaking my heart. This guy just wants to hug his mom, you know? And it says he tries three times, and three times he grasps at nothing. Three times there's nothing there. And he longs to experience her, feel her touch, feel her warmth, feel her love. But she's just dead. There is no glory in Hades. There is no joy in Hades. It's a gloomy place where people are distraught where shades kind of wander around and babble and hurt. So Homer's, Homer's view of life was life before death. Gain your glory, gain your honor. There is nothing good coming. Now Plato gets in on, goes to like a different space where he says that this body, this body is the problem. And that shade life that Homer was, talk, that Homer was talking about would be the place to go. That's where our soul gets freed from death or from this bodied, embodied bondage and our soul can, can soar to new heights and experience the true, true, true existence. But it's, again, shade-like and, and spiritual, not corporal. We have to leave our bodies. And uh, for us, in our modern terms, we kind of go in one of those directions too. Either we think at the end it is all over and it's death and there's nothing, and you look into the black void and you make your own meaning. Or you go to the other end and you say, there is some life after death and I can't wait. We're gonna be floating around with angels and enjoying, enjoying hope or enjoying some kind of bliss or nirvana or some kind of oneness with reality. That has never been the Christian hope that has never been the Christian hope. And when in 1 Corinthians, 
when Paul is addressing a First Corinthian populace that has taken on kind of this Platonic view, and they say, what on earth are you talking about, about the resurrection of the dead? That is bogus and nonsense. How are they going to be alive? Are they going to be like zombies? Uh, chapter 15 begins with this joking and this gnawing, <laughs> thanks John, <laughs> of, the, of, of this idea of death, um, or of this idea of resurrection. There's no way that the body can be real. That's not what anybody wants. But friends, without a resurrected body, I'm going to say to you, there is no hope. There is shade-like existence where you will float around for eternity or you will be gone. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus gives us a great, great hope and embodied resurrection. All right, look with me in the very first part of this, verse 50, and we're going to dive in. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, imper- the perishable inherit the imperishable. At first glance, this sounds platonic. There's something wrong with our flesh and blood. We've got to get rid of this flesh and blood so we can inherit what is imperishable, so we can move forward into life. Flesh and blood is the cage that holds us back. Uh, that's how many do take it. Or some have taken it, and it's led to Hallmark cards where we kind of um, float around as angels. But this is not the emphasis of what Paul is saying. And chapter 15 makes this very clear. In the very beginning of chapter 15, he says, Guys, if there is no bodily resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised, and our hope is in vain. We're toast. There is no value if Christ has not actually been physically raised. The reason for this, brothers and sisters, is that we are embodied people. We were made and designed to have bodies. We were made and designed to be able to feel one another, to experience the goodness of life. Um, Psalm 8 says that God created us with glory and honor in our bodies. Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully put together bodily. Our flesh and blood is good. In fact, God digs it. In Genesis 2, he actually did dig it out of the ground and made us into bodies. And he said, they're good. And then he put us with other people. And he said, that's even better. You, ever, you know, like when you have a baby, an important thing is skin to skin. When that baby's body feels your baby's body, your baby's body, when that baby, <laughs> not, when, not in the nursery, like you, <laughs> like when you're holding that baby and, and that baby's experiencing your skin, and is making that connection. We are meant to be people who are embodied. And our flesh gives one another love. We hear what we're saying and provide experience and connection. We can touch and hug. We can kiss. We can hold hands. We can support. Our bodies are good. They're what God has made us to be in the very beginning. Brothers and sisters, I hope you know that you need to love your body. I hope you don't look at it and think of it as yucky. The idea of the flesh and blood that Paul says won't inherit the kingdom, it's not that your body won't inherit your kingdom. It's that in in Genesis 3, something happens to our body. We have our first father, who was formed from the dust, whose body was perfect. His name was Adam. He rebels against his good God. He hates God. He does an action of hatred towards God, says, God has given me all, I want more. And he falls from that state in which he was created, and he provides for us an inheritance. 
an inheritance in the flesh in, a, in an idea. And that inheritance is the inheritance of, an orig- of original sin, of corruption, decay, and death. We now, thanks to Granddad Adam, um, experience life that is decaying, bodies that are breaking down, bodies that um, have the life flow through it, um, marred with death. Think of it as a parasite or a cancer that's come into your blood. When Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, he is not saying that we are going to be shades or spirits. He is saying, your body that is decaying, the body you know now, the body that, of my grandmother that has turned to dementia, that becomes old and frail and breaks and, and doesn't heal fast enough, that body cannot inherit the good thing God has for you. It's our inheritance from Adam. And it is lacking. Not because God messed up in making it. Not because it's bad in and of itself. But because it has been infused and infected with the sin of disease. Or the disease of sin. And that disease is going to destroy us. Uh, his name, Freud. Freud said there's this problem and the problem with death. It's a, it's a frustrating problem and I don't know who's going to fix it. I don't think anyone will. But it's the thing we all must face. It's the thing that's going to get us all. And maybe we'll just get used to it. <laughs> Our bodies will just go. They decay. They form. They fall apart. Um, and the first Corinthian church, they were okay with that. They were like, yeah, let's go to be shades. Paul says, no, that is not our hope. If that is the reality, we will not inherit the kingdom of God because what we need to inherit the kingdom of God is what Christ has provided. He says, the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you, a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. When he says that the dead will be raised imperishable, he is talking about bodily resurrection. This becomes very clear when he says, uh, when he starts speaking in verse 53, for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has, uh, has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Now, what this version doesn't quite emphasize is that there is a this in front of every one of these imperishable and immortals. This imperishable, or this perishable body must be raised. This immortal body must be raised. This body must be changed. Not changed in, from, from physicality to spiritual or um, shade-like, ghost-like, but changed from perishable and that which decays and no suffering and death to this glorious new body. Uh, oh, this is so silly, but it was the only thing that came to mind. How many of you guys, how many of you guys have watched Power Rangers? <laughs> Let's go. Raise those hands high. Okay, so Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, right? Uh, I was driving around trying to figure out, like, what kind of illustration can I use to think about the change of our bodies? So these five teenagers, they are um, 
deigned to bear the Power Ranger symbol. And as uh, people, they don't stand a chance against the evil wizard or uh, sorcerer who wants to destroy the earth. They can't, they can't do it. Um, and this one dude named, oh, I'm going to butcher this, guys, forgive me, Zordon. I'm pretty, okay, thank you. Zordon, Zordon's like, hey, we need, some, we need these guys. But guys, here are the badges of your power. If you get these belts, you raise them to the sky, and you call on the, on the um, animal of, or the dinosaur of your power, you will, be, you will be morphed into something else. And one of the girls says, I watched the first episode, it's about 20 minutes um, recently to make sure that I got this right. She says, uh, she says, morphed? What does that mean? And this other girl says, it means changed. And I was like, oh, shoot, changed. <laughs> we will be changed. Now I can't get this out of my head. Uh, we will be changed. And sure enough, they, first they were like, this is nonsense, we're out. And they walk outside, and the sorcerer sends five, uh, ten of its um, henchmen, who are really strange. They're, you know, gray, gray morph suits and funky faces, and they start fighting the teenagers, and the teenagers getting their, their clocks cleaned. And uh, the, the, they're like, what are we going to do? Let's point it to the sky. And so they call out their dinosaur name, which I cannot remember all of them. I'm sure some of you do. And as they, say, as they raise this to the sky, a song starts playing, and they... Because they like get this cloak, this cloak or this morph suit comes down on them and changes them from top to bottom, and they're like, "Whoa! Now we have the power, right?" And then they start. Then like the the the, the henchmen of the, of the evil sorceress, she, they, they don't stand a chance. They're getting their they're getting their butts kicked. It's it's a complete change that starts with this power that comes upon their bodies. Now, they're still bodies in their suits, right? They haven't fully changed, but they have changed. They no longer have their weakness. They have their power. And now they're able to take on the evil, the wicked, the enemy. In one sense, guys, when you think of the last trumpet sound, when God says, it is over, I have put all things under my feet, he comes down onto the mountain or he comes down to us, we will be changed. Not from physical to shade, not from um, body to disembodied, but from one type of body to a greater type of body. Jesus is the image of our salvation. He is the image of our salvation in his body, which is so beautiful. So you think about, think about like Jesus in, um, coming to earth to save us, right? He comes as this baby. He takes on our mortal flesh. First off, um, naming your flesh is really good. I can, I'll never stop saying it because some of us, we really do end up hating our skin. And we want to hurt it. Brothers and sisters, your flesh is really, really wonderful. Even if you think it's lumpy, even if you think it doesn't really look good, the Lord loves it. He does love it. And he's going to renew it and make it yours for forever in a more healthy and beautiful way. All right? And appreciate the body God has given you and the joys that you can experience through it. I beg of you. Um... Jesus comes as a body, as a little baby, and the first thing that happens in his coming is this horrid death that, that sweeps through as Herod sends people to go kill all these kids, you know? Um, and Jesus has to flee. And his whole life he is fighting against this figment of death, against this evil power of death. And he grows up, he lives the perfect life, he takes on 
um, our flesh and our decay and our suffering, but resists the corruption of, the, of sin that wants to erode at him. And he lives the perfect lives and dies the perfect death in the end. And then he comes back from the dead, but not as a spirit. His body is no longer in the tomb. He comes back, and he walks and talks with his disciples, and he's seen. And they recognize him. Sometimes. Sometimes he fails their faces, but oftentimes they recognize who he is. They hear him talking to them. He eats and drinks with them. He says, hey, touch the holes. I love that. I love that he asks them to like, make that kind of physical connection. You know how like, we shake hands? The Lord Jesus, after his death, says, hey, sh- come shake my hands. Touch the holes in my hands. Know that it's really me and it's my same body. Touch, touch my side. Know it's me. Know it's my body. This is me. I'm, I, it's me in the flesh. But I'm made new. I'm something different. And my promise to you, he doesn't say this specifically word for word. I often, um, you know, repeat what they say in, in, in spirit. He says, what my promise to you is that this is yours too. This is what you shall have. It's what Elizabeth read earlier, right? Um, we will see him and we will be made like him. The problem, the infection of our bodies, the infection of our lives, sin and death, he defeats in his perfect life, in his perfect um, resurrection, and as our king. And he sends to us a spiritual reality, a spiritual reality in our bodies. Our bodies now, earlier in 1 Corinthians, are described as Um, Bodies that are sown in shame because of sin and and decay. They are sown in weakness. They are sown um, in perishability or corruptibility. But the bodies we will have will be in power. The bodies we will have will be in glory. The bodies we will have will not be marked by dementia, will not be marked by addiction, will not be marked by self-hatred and hurt, and abuse, or by um, uh, limps and loss of hearing and loss of eyesight, they will be marked in glory and power like our Savior. That's the hope of Christmas, brothers and sisters. The hope of Christmas is that he is coming again, and it won't just be for those who are alive at his coming. He says the dead, too, will be raised, and as they are raised, they will be changed. When I think of Jesus and his, com- his first coming and the associating with death of all of these two-year-olds two and younger, and then I think of his second coming that we're looking forward to, and all those two-year-olds being raised from the dead, but not just raised as mummies, but raised as in life and in power. Brothers and sisters, your future experience of the ones that you love that you've lost is not trying to, trying to hug a shade or trying to hold something that is immaterial. You're going to feel their body again. You're going to get a chance to hold them. You're going to get a chance to hear their glorified voice. And you're going to know and reconnect with those that you love. And person to person, 
we will be able to know and reconnect and retouch and re-experience the goodness and the beauty and the joy of life with one another. This is the hope of the gospel. And it is because, precisely, um, that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken care of the sting of death, which is sin, and the power of sin, which is the law, in which he, he lives the perfect life, overcomes the enemy, and wins the perfect body for you. Thanks, Josh. That's what we look forward to. A new life, a perfect life, an embodied life, will we then, where we will then live forever in glory without the fear of decay and perishability chasing us. You know, this text ends with this call, therefore, brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain because Jesus actually rose. And you will actually rise. And you will actually experience his love for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is what you have done. This is what you have, this was why you came and took on flesh and blood in your um, uh, advent, your first advent. And this is why you have maintained your flesh and blood even now. And you will come and show us what we will be. And we will be like you. Father, as we take and eat of your body and blood now, help us to remember who you are, what you have done, what you have accomplished, and where we are going as your people. In your name I pray. Amen.